Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Welcome to church. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you, 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, we are wrapping up, as Pastor Tim said, wrapping up this series called The Expanse, uh, uh, Great Expanse. Uh, this was our first series of 2022, and uh, so these last six weeks uh, or so just been uh, looking at the uninterrupted flow. We know that God has a plan, and what God has set in motion, that nothing can stop the plan of God. How many believe that? That God is working all things together, and uh, we want to be a part of that uninterrupted flow. Uh, We've been talking about how to deal with the opposition that might be set uh, towards that, but we're going to wrap this up today, and um, uh, so glad you're with us, so glad you're in church. Uh, Why don't you stand, and as we look at this text in 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the the healing of Naaman, um, and uh, you're going to want to read the rest of the chapter later. We're just going to read the first eight verses. Great story, um, how he is healed, what God has done, and even the result that happens uh, because of uh, Elisha's servant. You can read that later. Here's the first eight verses. I want to focus on the, a certain response here. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid, or in other words, a slave. Uh, She was captured, taken away. Verse 3, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the girl or the king of Aram told told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. Notice, you got to recognize how desperate Naaman is when he's taking advice from a slave girl. This is desperation. This girl has moved a king to write a letter. Y'all, that's a big deal. A king is writing a letter on the word of a slave girl. <laughs> and you don't have significance? God can't do something significant in your life? Your circumstances are, don't permit it. If only you had more money, if only you had more whatever. A king is writing a letter because of the word of a slave girl. And the letter said this. So Naaman started out carrying, um, he said, I'll send a letter of introduction uh, where was I? Yeah, so Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver. That's a lot. 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said this. With this letter, I present my servant, Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and in dismay said, Am I God that I can give life and take away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. (laughs) Really? Slow down. He jumped a whole story of what's taking place. It goes on. It says, uh, 
Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset, said Naaman? Send Naaman to me, send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Why are you so upset? Send him to me, and he'll learn that there's a true prophet in Israel. God, I thank you that you still display your glory and your power. And God, we pray that you would, you would use us. God, I pray that you would work freely in our lives, our homes, our families, that your power would be displayed in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, you say amen. amen. And as you're being seated, just ask your neighbor, why are you so upset? <laughs> Here's the question. Why are you all in a tizzy? You know, that's a real word, by the way. I just thought my mom made it up. My mom would say, don't get all in a tizzy, and uh, it's a, a real word. I, I want to talk, as we wrap this series up, just this title today, Get Out of Your Way, all right? Get out of your way. Um, I don't know if you've been watching any of the Winter Olympics. I've uh, been uh, watching uh, um, curling. I'm so, I, it's just weird, like, this is like, <laughs> I know. Uh, and then, uh, um, of course, the hockey, ice hockey. Uh, that's fun. I, I can't watch the Penguins, but I can watch U.S. Olympic hockey. I don't, yeah, pray for me. I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, and uh, it's the same with basketball. I don't like basketball unless it's March Madness, and I don't get it. It's like I can't watch it any other time. Um, anyway, I watch a little bit of uh, uh, skiing and, and um, some stuff that's happening on the Winter Olympics and uh, was inspired by my own story of skiing uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, her name's Jody. Um, she's still my girlfriend. Um, we still go out on dates, and uh, we did get married too. So don't. Uh, but she's still my girlfriend. How many are glad to be married to the person that you still love dating? All right, yeah, just that's it. That is. Um, we went we went skiing, uh, and so we get to the uh, slope. We get on the lift, and how many know once you enter the lift, it's a point of no return. Like you're in now. And so uh, as we're riding the lift, she's giving me the instruction of the tutorial, what I need to know when I get off of the lift. I've never done this before. And so she's telling me what I need to know in a brief amount of time because how many know the lift to that bunny slope isn't that long? Uh, so we get to the, uh, the slope, and, and uh, we recognize that uh, as it's time to get off, I, I go to get off. The next thing I hear is the attendant saying, stop the lift and uh, that was because I was laying on my back with the skis straight up in the air and did not realize they don't stop the lift. It continuously moves except for special people. And so I was in the special category uh, being able to stop the lift. And so I get back on my skis and then the lift goes back to its, its regular continuous motion. And I make my way down the bunny slope. And I, I knew that this was already an opposition or obstacle for me because I'm having a hard enough time staying upright and straight. While everybody else is like doing these little, you know, zigzag back and forth. I'm like, stop it. Okay, so I'm picking up speed and I'm noticing that I'm veering towards the edge of the man-made snow. Now, on the other side of the man-made snow is grass that is wet. And I was smart enough to know that these skis aren't going to move too well when they hit the grass. So I did the next best thing and that is I grabbed onto a total stranger and took him down with me. I don't know why that was a best option or not, but that's, that's what I did. And, and I could have said, get out of my way, but how many know he wasn't in my way? 
I was just out of control. I want to ask us, sometimes in life, we look at opposition and we give value to opposition when in reality, the problem is not our opposition. The problem is we're out of control. Get out of your way. Paul said this in, in this verse that we've made our theme verse of this series, A Great Expanse. Paul said, there's a wide open door of ministry, though many oppose me. There's a wide open door, though many oppose me. Paul already says there's going to be opposition. What I want to challenge and encourage us today is be careful that the opposition doesn't become ourselves. That we don't become the opposition to the advancement and the expanse that God wants to do. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Somebody say amen. We're to grow self-control. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 28, that a man or an individual without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Why is that a problem? If the walls are not up around the city, it makes it vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. It's not enough to have the enemy on the outside. It's totally a problem when the enemy gets on the inside. And how does the enemy get on the inside? Because our self-control, we're not in control. The enemy's not in your way sometimes. We're just out of control. It's the place that we've got to take captive the thoughts. We've got to practice the fruits of the Spirit. Someone said one time, you know, we're a church without walls. I'm like, well, that's dangerous. I get what we mean. But here, our focus is not to tear down walls. Our focus is what Isaac said to Joseph when he says to him, may the fruit of your tree and the branches grow over the walls. That we would produce fruit that part of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that the fruit of the Spirit would grow in and through us. The walls become a place of, of, of protection. They're, they're the place that we need, but that our fruit would override the walls, and part of that fruit is self-control. God, give us self-control to take captive the thoughts that lift themselves against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that there are thoughts and things that we have to take control of. And I want to I want to recognize as we step into the great expanse, as we prepare for what God has for us, don't give attention to the enemy because the enemy is already your problem. He's out there. But the biggest thing is don't open the door to let him on the inside. It's one thing to fight the enemy on the outside. It's a whole different thing to fight the enemy when he gets on the inside. It's not that the enemy's against us or that the enemy's opposing us. It's that we've got to have self-control so that we get out of our way. It was a couple uh, weeks ago I was in prayer and just uh, one of those places of, of just pondering. I don't know if there's anybody else in the room. I'm a thinker. Like I think and then I keep thinking. And some of you are like, well, that's not a problem. Uh, it can be. Because how many know you can think so much that you think you have the answer and then you think about what could be wrong with that answer so then you have to rethink the solution to the answer you thought you had so then you have to keep, oh, I'm tired already. Because you just keep thinking. I was in one of those moments just pondering, you know, trying to figure out a solution. And, and, and it was and just, you know, God, what's the right answer? I don't know, you know, how, how to do this. And I'm in a time of prayer. And just that scripture is my favorite scripture, uh, or the favorite line out of the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Um, I love the whole chapter. But this verse, he says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so that word just began to ponder in my time of prayer. And then I had to stop because I had to ask myself this question. If he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, then Jason, why are you sitting at the king's table looking at the enemy? 
Why am I sitting at the table that the king made for me with my eyes on the enemy? He prepares a table. God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And oftentimes, I'm looking at the potential problems and things that are around and the things I need to figure out. Oftentimes, what I'm doing is I'm giving the enemy my attention. Can I say this? The enemy doesn't have my attention, but I've got his. And there needs to be the difference that I'm not looking from that perspective. Now, here is, here's Joram, the, the king of Israel, and he gets a, a, a letter that's sent to him. Here's his response when the letter shows up. Naaman, who is a commander of the, of the Aramean army, he's, a, he's a, a, a well-known commander, won many victories. Notice as well, the Bible says the Lord gave him victories. I want to remind you, Naaman was not a godly man. Naaman was from the enemy's camp. But God gave him victory. You know why I think that's, that's significant? The reason that's significant is because even the things that look like defeat and disappointment, God is still orchestrating and working all things out together for our good. And he's in the midst of all things. He's working all things together. And so the Lord gave him victory. Here's Naaman. He's mighty. He's got power. He's got money. He's got wealth. He's got money and wealth. They're the same thing. But, you know, he's got all this stuff that he's carrying with him. But he has a condition, and his condition is leprosy. Leprosy is associated with death. They called it, the, the pagans of that area called death, the punish, or t- called leprosy, the punishment of, of the gods, plural. But how many know Israel knows there's only one God? They called it the punishment of the gods, and the reason it was the punishment of the gods because the only way to cure leprosy was with a miracle. And so now here's a slave girl taken from Israel who is in Aram, who is working in Naaman's home and says to, the, to, to his wife, I wish, I wish my master would go to Samaria. He could be cured. So all of this happens, and Jerem, who is the king of Israel at that time, Jerem is the son of Ahab. Ahab is the husband of Jezebel. If anyone ever said you remind her of Jezebel, that was not a compliment. Uh, <laughs> not good. Jezebel and, and, and Ahab were evil. Uh, they had, there was a separation in the kingdom. They are not honoring God. Their son, Joram, is now the king of Israel. Joram, who is the king, gets this note, this letter that's sent to him. And how does he reply? The Bible says he tears his clothes, which recognize this. That is a sign of national emergency. When the king tears his clothes, that is saying we have a national emergency. Our country is in a devastated or, or in, a, in a tragic situation. He gets a letter, and as a result of the letter, he tears his clothes, says, do you think I'm God? Why does he think that much of himself? Who in the world was assuming he was God? You think someone's calling you God? No, they, they're recognizing they don't have any way to handle this, and so he's coming to you, and he says, this man's just trying to pick a fight with me. Let me just remind you that it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much wealth, how much position, how much power, how much notoriety, if you've got leprosy, none of that matters. It's conditioned, or or the the association is to death, because how many know the Bible says that what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? 
No one can take care of of leprosy, only the miracle, the hand of God. Can I say to you today, we are all born sinners. We are all sinners. We have all been in a, are all in a fallen condition. And the only one who can save us is Jesus Christ. There is only one. There is a prophet and he's more than a prophet. He is the son of God, the lamb of God. He is the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. There is more than a prophet in the land. Oh, that Fayette County would know that there is more than a prophet in the land that his name is Jesus. This opportunity comes to Jerem's door to reveal the power of God. And Jerem replies in this, oh, this man is out to get me. Do you know anybody who has the ability to take one situation or one circumstance and transform that into an entire scenario that is a worst case scenario? You know, like one thing, someone did not reply to your text. And because they didn't reply to your text, that means they don't like you. They're probably mad at you. Not sure you'll ever talk to them again. You know that ability to take one situation and like write a narrative, like it's all the way down to the worst case scenario. Do you know anybody like that? Uh, It's, you know, something must be wrong. This is Jerem. He's in this place that the enemy is already in in this place of working. He's out to fight me. He wants to call a fight. Uh, No, he's got a sick man who is desperate, so desperate that he's listening to a slave girl to ask for help. There's this importance of making sure that we recognize that there is opposition. And the opposition that comes against us, I want to say this to you. Number one, don't be surprised. But number two, don't be suspecting either. When we're always suspecting that the enemy's out to get us, there's always a threat. I was in that moment where, you know, just pondering, like, God, I need to make a decision. I want to do the right thing. And how many know when trying to do the right thing, what I mean by the right thing is I want to make everybody happy. How many have ever found out that doesn't mean the right thing? (laughs) God, I want people to be happy. I'm a firstborn. I don't like when people are mad at me. I don't like when you, you know, that's not just that. It's that place of, of God, I want to be in in doing the right thing. It's like, God, I don't know how to make the right decision. This is a number of weeks ago as I was praying, and the Lord said, if you're sitting at my table, then why are you giving your attention to the enemy? Amen. If the king prepared a table before you, hey, Joram, why are you thinking everything's a threat and everything's going to get you? Listen, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's against you. The God who is for you is greater than the one who would come against you. Here's the problem with suspecting the first thing is, it takes my attention from God and puts it on the enemy. How many know that's a problem, giving your attention to the enemy? That's a waste of time. You, you know, all the worrying, if you're a worrier in the room, God give us grace to overcome that. Because, you know, all we've done is considered everything that could go wrong and wasted all the time we could stand in hope and declaring the promises of God. Because now we're worrying about what everything that could go wrong. And how many know, sometimes in the process of worrying, all we did was make ourselves sick. And the problem really wasn't as bad as we thought, but we made ourselves so sick that we made it already worse than it needed to be. How many know that worry just makes things worse than it needs to be? It's not, it's not that it's bad enough already, but in this worry, we give our attention. So the first problem with suspecting or we're, we're suspicious that there's always, you know, something's out to get us. There's a threat. There's, you know, someone's, we're always looking in the negative. The first problem is we give our attention to the enemy, not to God. Here's the second problem, which I think might be the biggest one, that when we suspect, we end up leading more than being led. When we operate in suspecting, we're coming to our own conclusions. And how many know Joram, when he said, this man's picking a fight with me, he was leading his thoughts rather than allowing God to lead his steps. 
Hello? And how many know that when we try to lead, that's when we get in the way? But when we learn how to be led, that's when we allow God to order our steps. Here's the contrast of two people who came into contact with Naaman. Naaman, the man with leprosy, the only way he could be healed is with a miracle. And so Naaman, of course, with leprosy, comes in contact with two people. These three main characters in this text that we read, Naaman being at the center of it. And the first one is the slave girl. She doesn't even have a name. I'd love to give her a name, and I'd love that name to be Faith. It just feels like a fit. This girl has been taken from her homeland. She was captured. She was taken against her will from her family to another country to now serve in the captain or the commander's place of of his, his home and to serve his wife. This girl who is outside of her own environment learns and comes in contact with Naaman the leper. And what does she say? I wish my master would see the prophet in Samaria. Okay, the slave girl, not even given a name, taken against her will from her homeland, away from family, now serving as a slave in a house that is not her own. And what does she wish for her master? I don't know about you, but what would you wish for your master? What would you wish for your master? What, what, I, here she says, I wish my master would come in contact or see the prophet. This is her response when she comes in contact with, with the Naaman. She's in a place that's not even her own. You know, I love the picture of this. She's a slave but doesn't live like one. Her circumstances says she's a slave. But her faith says she's a child of God from the land of Israel who knows the hope of a God who is able to do miracles. And then the other guy who comes in contact with Naaman, he's the king. He's not been taken from his home. In fact, he's in his home watching his favorite show, you know, whatever he's got going on. He is in his own house, in his own place, doing his thing. And how does the king reply when he comes in contact with Naaman? He tears his clothes and says, do you think I'm God? This man is just out to pick a fight with me. What a contrast and a different response. Isn't it interesting that the slave girl is in enemy territory and still has her eyes on the king of Israel while the actual king of Israel is just looking to see where the fight's coming from. I want to say, in walking in what God has, be careful to not get in your own way. Those people in front of you aren't the problem. It's controlling the skis. That's the problem. So I want to look at this and just give you a couple things. God, help me to get out of my way. How, how many would, would recognize, God, sometimes my thoughts get ahead of me, or sometimes I let my thoughts run? Anybody been in a place where you've been in your own way at times? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. We, we try to figure it out. We try to, try to work it out. And this was me in that moment saying to God, God, you've you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in Jesus' name, I'm going to quit giving my attention to the enemy, and I'm going to give my attention to the king because he deserves my attention. So here's number one, if I'm going to get out of my way. Number one, i got to take pleasure rather than pressure. Here's the, the girl, uh, the slave girl, and she says, I wish. This word wish means delight. It means to find delight, to, to take pleasure in. This girl is a slave in a country that's not her own, and she still finds pleasure. 
How many know that's the grace of God working in our lives to be able to find pleasure? And all the while, the king puts pressure on himself. Here's one of the things I know that I get in my way is when I feel like it's pressure to serve God. I'm getting in my way. Because now I become works-oriented. It's I've got to figure it out. I've got to do it. Listen, I don't have to have the pressure to make anything happen. I just delight myself in the Lord. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalms. The scripture says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Take pleasure in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. That he will cause you to prosper. He will keep you innocent in that place that you delight in the Lord. It's not pressure, it's pleasure. It is my pleasure to be in the presence of God. Here is this girl who found pleasure and said, my wish, my delight is that my master would know that there is a God, there's a healer, there is one who's able to deliver. You go to Luke chapter four and God, the, the scripture, Jesus makes it a point to say how significant it is that he healed Naaman, that God healed Naaman through Elisha is because no one else in that area had been healed of leprosy during that time except Naaman, who was not even an Israelite. There's God saying how much he loves people on the outside. And Naaman makes that list of how much God loves him and what God is, is doing. This, this girl, um, she had desire for Naaman to know God. Now, we don't know the rest of the story, but I would imagine when Naaman came back healed, he probably had different perspective with the slave girl. How many know what I'm saying? Naaman just had an encounter with the God who healed him. Even though God didn't do it the way he thought, read the rest of the story, I don't want to take time, but God heals Naaman. And that slave girl, I would imagine, had a whole different situation and set of circumstances because that her master came in contact with the presence of God. But her pleasure was to see God work in her master's life. Here's number two. If we're gonna if we're gonna get out of our way, we gotta take pleasure, not pressure. Number two, if we're gonna get out of our way, we gotta come to the place that we trust more than we know. We trust more than we know. Simply this meaning: there are moments you're gonna make decisions, and you're not gonna be able to know the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not gonna be an easy answer. God is not a formula to figure out; He's a presence to follow. Faith means I have to have the ability to trust beyond my knowledge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That I've got to trust more than I know. There are often times we're waiting for the right decision to make. But I want you to know that the step that you take is not the step of that you know what to do. Your first step is not I know what to do. If your first step is I know what to do, then you're walking in your own strength. Your first step needs to be, I know in whom I believe. Your first step is not, I know what to do. If you have knowledge of what to do before you have expression of your faith being in Christ, you've missed it. Don't make your first step, I know what to do. Your first step is, I know in whom I believe. And because I know in whom I believe, he will order my steps. And he will call, my hope is not in my ability to step. My hope is in the one who has the ability to guard my steps, to order my steps. That makes everything different. 
because when it's me, I have to make the right decision. How many know that's a tightrope? I've got to figure out the right thing to do, and that's pressure. But my step is not I know the right thing to do. My step is I know in whom I believe, and I know who will order my steps, that I know God will go before me, and he'll put these pieces together. Here's number three. If we're going to get out of our way, number three, we've got to inquire to eliminate ignorance. Ignorance is this thing. To ignore the work of God, the presence of God, to inquire, inquire of the Lord, that God will give you some direction. This inquiring of, of being able to get wisdom from God. This first step is not in knowing what to do. Your first step is to inquire of the Lord, that my trust is in the Lord. The scripture says in Romans, that in Romans 16 says, but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. Everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. Here's the result. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The only way you can walk in obedience is to allow God to give you direction. Therefore, you must inquire of the Lord. Now, Joram knew how to do this. Two chapters before, Joram is in a fight against Moab. Moab, of course, was coming against them. They were in a deal, and uh, they wanted to break the deal, and Joram was like, wait a minute, you owe me. And so Joram goes to Jehoshaphat, who is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he says, hey, we're brothers, kind of, not really. Uh, Your parents are Ahab and Jezebel. We want nothing to do with that. Uh, But we're kind of related. We're Israelites. Joram said, hey, would you join me in fighting Moab? And Jehoshaphat says, sure, and then Jehoshaphat says, but first, let's inquire of the Lord. Is there someone we can, is there not a prophet that we can inquire of? And Joram says in, in chapter 3, two chapters earlier, Joram says, yes, there's Elisha. We can inquire of Elisha. So Joram knew that there was Elisha to acquire of, but the only way his heart was directed to do that was because someone asked him. Can I encourage you that walking into the expanse, is learning how to walk in righteousness, not just when people are watching, but because the Lord is ordering your steps. He only inquired of the Lord because of Jehoshaphat. But now he's all alone, and Aram sends the, the king, or sends Naaman to come and look for healing, and his statement is, you're coming to threaten me. He should have inquired of the Lord because how many know if he would have inquired of the Lord, he would have been reminded, there's Elisha, go see Elisha. He would have sent him to Elisha. But he didn't inquire of the Lord. And when we inquire of the Lord, we take that step, that first step of I don't know what to do. Have you ever been in a place where you've tried to think about what to do? But sometimes in the process of trying to figure out, you just felt more confused? How about this one? The more you thought about it, fear started. So those are indicators. The moment there's confusion and fear are indicators that my attention has swerved to the wrong side of the table. That when fear and confusion begin to step in, it means my attention has gone from the king and has now started to slide to the enemy that he's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I keep my eyes on him. That when we inquire of the Lord, he'll give us the step that we need to take. Here's the last thing. We keep our eyes, and how do we get out of our way? We, we, we allow ourselves to be moved 
more by God's glory, his grace, his presence, than by gold. This man is traveling, Naaman is traveling with 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. I don't know if I could lift it, but I'd like to try. And 10 new sets of clothes. Now, if that doesn't excite you, in that day, that was exciting. Because in that day, you wore the same clothes over and over and over again. I mean, with that understanding, it makes you realize how special it is to get underwear at Christmas, right? I mean, that's a big deal. If you don't get a new set of clothes. But here's the king who has 10 sets of clothes. I mean, you could wear one almost a month. They would wash it up, absolutely. But there's, you got all this wealth, all these resources. In fact, if you were to add it up, it's over $4 million in today's currency. If somebody shows up at my door with $4 million, <laughs> Publishers Clearing House, is that what it's called? I don't know if that, <laughs> that's a real thing or not. I don't think it is. Uh, but here's what I love. Money didn't cause the healing. If you read the rest of the chapter, Read the rest of it. I love this. Elisha, of course, through the power of God, heals Naaman. Naaman tries to give him the money, and Elisha's like, nope, I don't want your money. Because my pursuit is not the provision. My pursuit is the presence of God. Be careful what gets in our heart and becomes the motive of what we are moved by and what we run after. That we are moved by grace, the presence of God. That when you have the presence of God, this is everything that we desire How about this slave girl? She's a slave captured from her hometown, away from her family, but she still holds on to the presence of God. How do I know? Because she's still talking about a prophet in Samaria. I wonder when you get caught in those places and the enemy comes against and the opposition do we start talking more about our problem as we said before with Caleb or are we talking about our promise that we're not pursuing the things of this world that God you are enough there's a song our worship team sang a couple weeks ago give me Jesus you can have all this world but give me Jesus that I want to encourage you today to get out of your way get out of your way I'm not just saying that to you. I'm, hey, Jason, get out of your way. There are those places that the the enemy tries to overwhelm. And this question I want to ask you today, you're at the king's table. Here's the thing. The only way you get to the king's table is by surrendering your life to the king. Okay? He's prepared a table before you, but you still have to take your seat. Do you hear that? He's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, but you still have to take the seat. You have to receive, believe on Jesus Christ. You have to receive him as your savior. You have to believe on Jesus, and in doing so, you have a seat at the king's table. So if you're seated at the king's table today, I want to ask you the question, are you at the king's table? And if so, who's got your attention? I don't want to waste my time sitting at the king's table looking at the enemy. Looking for what could go wrong. Looking for the threat. There's problems. No, I'm going to sit at the king's table and know that he's made every way possible.
And so I want to encourage you today, number one, to sit at the king's table. And number two, to allow your, your attention to be fixed on, on him. Would you stand with me? The scripture in the end of Psalm 23 says this, the end of it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I want to speak to this right now. If the enemy's bringing confusion or the enemy's bringing fear, I want you to renounce that in Jesus' name and get your eyes off of the enemy and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He is not the author of confusion. Somebody say amen. And he has not given you a spirit of fear. So don't make decisions out of fear. You make decisions out of wisdom. There's a difference. And there are moments I start recognizing, wait, this is fear. And I have to get my eyes back on the king because God is not a God of fear. And he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order and he's a God of faith. He will order my steps and my faith will remain in him. Is there anyone else who knows you're sitting at the table of a God of order and a God of faith that I'm going to trust him in every place and in every season? All my life you've been faithful. I want to speak this over whatever you're going through today as you're at the king's table to just recognize he's for you and not against you. Don't sit at the table with your eyes on the enemy. Sit at the table with your eyes on the king who is for you and who is able to do things. Inquire of the Lord. Come on, speak this and sing this over your life today. All my life God, we recognize this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Your faithfulness remains. You have been so yeah. you two questions this morning one are you at the king's table he's made a place for you have you taken your seat have you made him king of your life this is to be saved to receive jesus for salvation have you made him the king of your life with every head bowed and eyes closed in this moment if you're here today and you say i've not made jesus the king of my life i've not made him the lord of my life jesus died to be your savior and now we need to die to ourselves to allow him to be our lord if you're here today and you say, I need to make Jesus the king of my life. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. You say, today, yeah, yeah, is there anyone else? Yeah, yeah, anyone else? Once you raise your hand, you can put it down. Is there anyone else? Man, we're celebrating with you. With, with the, there's four people who have raised their hand already. Is there anyone else? Today, you say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Yeah, yeah, is there anyone else? Yeah, 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 is there anyone else today? Yeah, there's a world coming at your door with threats, but there's a God who's for you. Is there anyone else today saying, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life? I need to make Jesus the king. He's made a seat for me at the table, and I've got to take the seat that he gave me. Here's the question I want to ask the second question. We're going to pray together. Here's the second question. You're sitting at the king's table, but you recognize I've been allowing the enemy to get my attention, and I need to say, 
don't I need to not get in my way and today I'm recognizing I need to give my attention and maybe the enemy's trying to use fear confusion and he's working and you're saying no I'm rejecting that I'm fixing my eyes on the king if that's you today you just say in Jesus name I declare I'm fixing my eyes on the king I'm not going to let the enemy despair and come against that I'm going to allow God to give victory I'm let me pray for you we're going to pray together in just a moment man I'm Man, it's just an excitement of, of knowing that we just say yes to Jesus and he does the rest. We just say yes to Jesus and he does the rest. But you know what? I've had to learn to say yes to Jesus every day, every morning, every moment. Lord, I thank you that we say yes to you. Thank you for making a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Thank you that you've given us the ability that no matter what our circumstances, like the slave girl, that God we can hold on to hope and God the enemy may try to overwhelm us but we're at the table with the king in the presence of our enemies so God I pray that you would give us the ability to fix our eyes on you and not give attention to the enemy God I pray that we would not allow the opposition on the outside to become opposition on the inside give us grace to get out of our way in Jesus name